but they were doing it in a very different way than what the world, i.e. men, model. And I called this different way sacred success. And sacred success means pursuing your soul's purpose for your own bliss and the benefit of others while being richly rewarded. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Barbara Hewson, previously known as Barbara Stanny. Barbara is a best-selling author, financial therapist, teacher, and wealth coach who has helped millions take charge of their finances and their lives. And just last week, she published her seventh book, Rewire for Wealth. I'm so excited to have Barbara on the show since she's been working on topics of women, wealth, and power since her first book, Prince Charming Isn't Coming, How Women Get Smart About Money, was published in 1997. Her newest book focuses on the power of mindset and neuroscience in changing our financial lives, and I can't wait to dig into all of that with her today. As always, stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Barbara, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Barbara for the complete show notes. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Barbara, welcome to the Smart Money Mamas show. Oh, thank you, Chelsea. I'm so glad to be here. I am so excited to have you here because I have read some of your older books that you published starting in 1997 was your first book, right? With Prince Charming Isn't Coming. And now you just released your new book, Rewire for Wealth. Tell us how your writing has evolved from that early first book to now. How has your philosophy changed? Well, my whole life's changed because my, <laughs> I came from a wealthy family. My father mm-hmm. was the R of H&R Block. And the only advice he ever gave me about money was don't worry. And I loved that advice. I didn't <laughs> understand money. All I wanted to do was spend it. And I married a man who was a stockbroker, so he was perfect. He took care of all the money, and I found out very early in our marriage that he was a compulsive gambler. Oh, no. And every year for 15 years, I'd find out he many times during the year that he was gambling my money, my inheritance away. And the insanity of it all is I continued to let him manage it because that's how intimidated I was by anything financial. And finally, after our divorce, I decided money is not my thing. I don't want to deal with money. Well, <laughs> if you don't deal with your money... <laughs> your money will deal with you. And in the next year, I got tax bills for way over a million dollars. Oh my gosh. For back taxes, my ex (laughs) didn't pay, for illegal deals he got us in, and my signature was on everything because I just signed everything he told me to sign. Mm. My ex had left the country. I did not have anywhere close to a million. I mean, not even close. And my father wouldn't lend me the money. And that's when I knew I had to get smart. And I started reading books and I started going to classes and my eyes would glaze over and my brain would fog up. But I was committed. I had three daughters. One was just a baby. I was not going to raise those girls on the street. I was determined. And I really believe, Chelsea, when you have a commitment, like there's no back door, the universe revolves to help you reach your goal. And I was a journalist writing for the San Francisco Business Times. And I was hired for a freelance project to interview women who were smart with money. Mm. And those interviews changed my life. I not only got smart enough to manage my money, but I suddenly had this whole new career traveling all over the country doing financial education for women, but I couldn't make money. So I thought, okay, I'm going to interview women who make lots of money. And I started making over six figures before I even finished writing my second book, Secrets of Six Figure Women. And so seven books later, here I am. And the question, how has it changed? 
I always write about what I want to learn. I'm not an expert before I do my <laughs> research. And a big part of my research is applying it to my life. Mm. So I've learned how to manage money. I've learned how to make money. And I've been doing financial education and empowering women financially for over 20 years, way over 20 years. And about six years ago, I just started having this niggling feeling that something was missing from my work. Like mm. if I could find this missing piece, it would help women so much. And I couldn't find it. And I got, I became a little obsessive about what is this missing piece? And I finally decided, you know, just cool it. Mm-hmm. The universe will show me. And one day I was on my email and this article came in my inbox and it was on neuroscience. And I knew nothing about neuroscience. And I read this article and I swear I felt like something in my brain must have been lighting up like a slot machine saying, <laughs> this is it. This is mm-hmm. the missing piece. And so one of the big ways that my writing and my work and my approach to finances personally and professionally has changed is integrating neuroscience with psychology and spirituality and personal finance. Mm. That is something we talk about all the time here about how like we can't treat money like it's just math. It is everything that has to do with our lives with neuroscience. And I'm curious, as you did the research to write this book. How did you start to think back about your beginning money story? Because I was reading the beginning of the book when you're talking about your dad and, and your relationship with your husband. And something that struck me is you got a job when you were married to your husband and your dad asked you not to talk about it at family gatherings. What was that experience like and how do you feel about it now? So I didn't get a job. Actually, I, got, I started my own business. Oh I started my own business called the Career Management Center. And this was in the 70s mm-hmm. when they did not have any kind of career counseling outside of a university Yeah, in Kansas City where I lived, in the Midwest. I don't know about anywhere else. But in the 70s, they didn't have anywhere in Kansas City outside of a university to do career counseling. So I started this. Mm-hmm. And my dad was furious. And my dad did not think women should manage money or make money. That was the man's job. And that mm-hmm. was programmed into me from very early, very clearly. And, oh my God, I was so hurt when he told my husband, do not have Barbara talk about her work when we're together. On one he hand, didn't even like, tell you? He told your no, husband? He told my, my gambling husband to tell me. Oh my goodness. And it was like a knife in my heart because I adored my dad, but he did not think women should work. And my daughter, my little daughter, my second daughter, we were just learning, she was in kindergarten, that she was having, had severe learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. And he kept saying, it was me working that caused my daughter to have learning disabilities. So I was feeling like crap about mm-hmm. myself. But at the same time, I felt so divinely guided. And so like, I had no choice. Like mm-hmm. I had no choice, but I was here to help women get back in the workforce And then my career evolved to help women start making money from their work and start managing it wisely. And so do you have siblings? I do. I have two siblings, two sisters. And how was their career path? Like, what would they think about your whole trajectory? We don't talk about my work in my family. Every, every, every Monday we have a Zoom call with my whole family. Nobody talks about my work. And my sisters don't really work. I'm sorry, that must be hard to not have them acknowledge all you've achieved and, and worked no. for. Well, it's not hard now because it's it's kind of like my normal. But no, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's sad that I can't talk to them about this or my mother. But on one hand, 
you know, I get great gratification. I get so much meaning. So I haven't thought about this in a long time that no one talks about my work. But now that you mention it, it's really sad. <laughs> I didn't mean to bring up a sad thing. It's just it's just it's interesting to me that so many people, like everyone that's listening, loves to hear you talk about your work and is excited to have you here. And that just must be hard. I'm curious. You know, it's not their reality. It's not mm. in their reality. And when something's not in your reality, it's not in your belief system, it's hard to hear. So And you made the comment about your work being so gratifying for you. And so you brought up in the book, this idea of sacred success. And so can you explain to us what sacred success is? So about, I think it was 2006, (laughs) I woke up one night in the middle of the night, I was making six figures, making it consistently. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I have a new goal. I want to make millions, help millions, give millions. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do. And I knew exactly how I was going to do it. I was going to interview women who made millions, and that would be my next book. And Mm -hmm. that was my goal. Well, three years later, I had interviewed a ton of women who made millions. I was nowhere near making millions myself. I had nowhere near a book. And I had a coach who said to me, Barbara, you're too into doing. You need time for just being. Mm. And so I just felt there was something in these interviews that was calling to me. But I didn't know what it was. And so I decided to take a four-day retreat. I took all my transcripts of my interviews with me. And I thought, there's something here. And when I was in quiet, peaceful surrender, and I reread those interviews, I saw what I was missing. These women were so successful, but they were doing it in a very different way than what the world, i.e. men, model. And I called this different way sacred success. And sacred success means pursuing your soul's purpose for your own bliss and the benefit of others while being richly rewarded. And these women were not profit-driven as much as they were purpose-driven. And we talk about rewiring for wealth, right? I think something we hear in our community sometimes is when I have my purpose, when I figure out what I really want to do... I have trouble charging for it, right? I feel like this is, I'm just supposed to help people. The richly rewarded part seems to be the hardest part for a lot of women in our community. And so how do we start to rework that so that we can achieve sacred success? This is really important because this is a matter of your self-worth. And if you're not charging what you deserve and desire, you're negating your worth and you're reinforcing it to yourself. When I interviewed women who are making six and seven figures, I would always ask them, are you doing what you're doing for the money? And they always said, no. Well, 99% said, no, I'm not doing what I'm doing with the money. I'm doing it for the challenge, for the recognition, for the passion. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, they said, but I damn well want to be well compensated because I know I'm worth it. Mm. Because each of us were given a gift. The spirit gave us source, whatever, the greater intelligence gave us a gift. And when we don't value it, others won't value it either. Mm, so the, the atrophied muscle that we need to work on is learning how to value ourselves. And so this comes into some of the neuroscience stuff too. I think we're like hearing this, changing the stories. And then also what you had mentioned way at the beginning of the interview, which is you would read this stuff about money and your brain would kind of fog over, right? Why does traditional ways of trying to help women handle money not work? And why do we have to focus on kind of rewiring? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> okay, that that's a... Because we, generally speaking... Mm-hmm. Men have been groomed to be the breadwinners, the hunters, the gatherers, 
over centuries, we, generally speaking, have been groomed to be keeping the hearth and home warm, be the nurturers. Mm -hmm. So this has just been wired into our collective unconscious, in our brain, (laughs) for most of us. Our brain will only see, will only hear, will only do what confirms our beliefs. Mm -hmm. And in order to shift that, we need to understand how to rewire the brain. And willpower and self-discipline alone will not do it. Okay, so what is rewiring? What do we do, right? Because so many of us are like, okay, well, what do we do next? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna do I, I want to I accept the money. Tell me what I need to do. <laughs> okay, let me just give you a little bit of background. Yeah. Rewiring is understanding how the mind and the brain work together. The brain is an organ in our head. It works on electrical chemical impulses. And the brain controls everything we do. Mm-hmm. Everything, inhaling, exhaling, uh, saving, spending, walking, everything. So if we want to change our behavior, like making more money, asking for what we want, we need to rewire, we need to change those neural pathways in our brain. Yeah. And the way we do that is through the mind. The mind is not an organ in the body. It is a non-physical entity that's a source of our thoughts and feelings, And what flows through the mind is what wires the brain. And so if we want to change the brain, we need to work on rewiring, retraining our mind, our thoughts, and our feelings. Okay. And so I've created three steps. It took me years to do this, but I finally narrowed it down to three steps to rewire your brain for wealth. Okay. I can tell you the three steps, but before I say that, rewiring... The brain does not want to change. Those neural pathways will suck you in and force you to repeat that behavior. It's like with the force of gravity. So it's very simple to rewire the brain, and it's very, very challenging. And it takes lots of repetition. So lots of repetition. So here are the three steps, and then I'll briefly explain them, and then I could give you an example. Yeah. The three steps are recognize reframe and respond differently. Mm-hmm. Recognize, reframe, and respond differently. So anytime you have a choice to make, anytime you are in a situation, you have two ways to respond. You either repeat the old ways mm-hmm. or you rewire to create new habits. And so you recognize, reframe, and respond. First, recognize. Recognize the thoughts you are having, the feelings you are having. Just recognize any negative, critical thoughts. And you recognize them with no judgment, but with curiosity. Oh, isn't that interesting? I'm having a thought about being scared. Not I am scared, but isn't that interesting? I am having a thought about being scared. So you separate yourself from your thought. You stand back like an observer. Isn't that interesting? I'm having a thought about needing to buy those shoes. I'm having a thought about not being worth it. Mm -hmm. So after you recognize the thought, then you reframe it. You find a way to see it or interpret it differently and you replace it with a new thought. Okay. And third, with that new thought, you respond differently. You know what you want to do. You know what's comfortable to do. You respond based on the new thought and you respond differently, which nothing in your body will want to do. So you have to force yourself. That's the hardest part. So you have so, to be mindful 
in the present moment. This isn't something that you can do as a postmortem, right? At the end of the day and say like, hey, why did I grab that 10 extra things in the grocery store? This has to be when you're standing there feeling the thought to reframe it in that moment, right? Exactly, exactly. And it doesn't mean doing it perfectly. And when you get back and you talk, oh my God, I didn't even recognize it. I didn't reframe it. I didn't respond differently. You say, isn't that interesting? Mm. Isn't that interesting? Because if you forget to do that, there's a part of you that doesn't want to change. Every time we feel stuck, it's because there's always an internal conflict. Part of you wants to, and part of you doesn't. Okay. I'll give you an example. A couple of months ago, I just applied this to myself. So my team had this great idea for me to do this project. It was a great idea. I thought it was a great idea. The only problem was they were explaining this project and I didn't really understand it. And I noticed myself getting scared. And I noticed myself saying, you can't do that. You don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. I thought, ooh, that's an old belief that hasn't come up in a while. I'm going to use this to rewire. Yes. So every time I had to write the script for what I was going to do and, and write the emails, plan it out, I didn't want to do it. And I told my team, no, I don't want to do it. And I saw myself, uh-oh, that's not responding differently. That's comfortably. So I noticed the thought, I'm having a thought about not being enough. Like, I can't handle this. I need to reframe that. And then I started, I can, I can handle this, but that didn't feel right. Although it would have worked. But I came up with a, a reframe. Oh, this is easy. This will be easy. Did I believe it was easy? No. Did I believe it could be easy? No, it doesn't matter. What's repeated long enough, all that's in your brain, those neural pathways are just arbitrary decisions that you made and you repeated over and over and over until they became beliefs. So, oh, this is going to be easy. This is going to be easy. And every time I went to write the scripts and do what I needed to do, nothing in me wanted to do it and I did it anyway. Yeah. This is going to be easy. And I started writing the project. And after about a week, I noticed it was getting easier. And I noticed the project turned out great. It was actually fun. Now, that, that's a simple one. But we, that's how to do it. We just constantly recognize the negative feeling. Then we reframe it and replace it with another thought or belief and then respond differently. And are we focusing on one negative belief or a troubling belief at a time? Or are we trying to change our whole mindset? And the reason I ask that is that this is work, right? Being present in the moment enough to catch yourself redoing something else. And we have, most of the moms in our audience have young kids and we're all tired <laughs> and we're all, especially in 2020, right? And so how do we make sure that we have the bandwidth to do this? Are we doing one thing at a time? How do we make space? That's another good question. <laughs> It doesn't take a lot of time. This takes no time at all. It's a consciousness. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I notice when I'm having a negative thought and you feel it. Sometimes I feel it in my body before, or my heart or my solar plexus before I, and I like, what is that? What is that? Oh, I'll give you an example. <laughs> you love examples. Friday, my computer crashed. I took it to my computer guy. He said, I don't think this is fixable. I have you on Monday <laughs> and I have a few others and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I don't have a computer. How can I do this? I, and I thought, oh, and I felt, I noticed I felt powerless. I'm having a thought about being helpless and powerless and everything was going to fall apart. So I just noticed me freaking out. I noticed this, how can I reframe it? And the way I reframed it is I relax and I surrender and I allow miracles to come. 
So there's so many ways to do it. You just tell yourself, it's really a matter of changing your words from the negative to the positive, from fear to love. So I just said, I believe in miracles. So Friday, I'm like, I'm doing it. It, A miracle is going to occur. A miracle is going to occur. I'm just saying that. And I'm telling my husband. And he said, you know, I bought a brand new Dell and I never use it. Do you want it? (laughs) And it's like, I didn't even have to do anything. Well, I don't know how to work a Dell. It's completely different than mine. But I said, miracle's going to occur. Miracle's going to occur. And I did. So just notice. Just notice when you have a negative thought. That's all you have to focus on, a negative thought. And then see how you can shift it to see it a different way, Mm -hmm. to see it in a positive light, to see the possibility of hopefulness, to see it through the eyes of love and not fear. Absolutely. Bringing more hope and love into our mindset is so important. But you also mentioned the words we choose to use, which is so powerful. I want to talk about one specific word. But before we do, let's take a quick break to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Mamas, talk about habits. I've used the same budgeting tool since my very first internship in college. This tool has been with me through every major life decision, reducing stress and helping me design a life I want. Sure, I've tried other systems just to see how they work, but none of them come close to matching You Need a Budget. You Need a Budget, or YNAB, operates on four simple rules that show you how to stop living paycheck to paycheck, get out of debt, and save more money so that you can spend your hard-earned cash on the things that truly matter most to you. It puts you in control and encourages you to actually align every dollar with your values. Looking to start a new budget habit for 2021? Look no further. You can start a free trial at YNAB, no credit card required, at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash YNAB. You mentioned the words that we use, which is so powerful. We talk about rewiring, we talk about mindset. And so there's a there's a word in gold on the front of your book that makes some people uncomfortable when they're new to money, which is wealth, right? People that feel all kinds of things about wealth. And so I'm curious, what is your definition of wealth? I'm so glad you brought this up because you people just have such pejorative, negative feelings about wealth. And my definition of wealth is when you have more than you need, you have more than enough and you know it. That's all wealth is. There's three levels of financial development. Mm-hmm. There's survival, stability, and affluence or wealth. Mm-hmm. Survival is not enough. Stability is just enough. And wealth is more than enough. And it differs for everybody. There's no set amount. Yeah. But I believe wealth is where the fun is and where the power is. Because it's not just having more than you need. It's what you can do with it, how you can make a difference in your life, in the lives of people you love, in causes you feel passionate about. Yeah. That and you have to believe it part is what we're, we're talking about, right? And that you read all this. You don't this- have to believe it. You need to rewire it to create a new belief. Mm. Because your beliefs are simply arbitrary decisions you made at one time. But it's just you read this research about how women can get more and more money and have on paper more and more wealth and actually not feel any more secure. They still have that, what they call the bag lady idea that they're going to end up on the street. And so rewiring that isn't just about getting mechanics better in money. It's about what do we believe about ourselves? Exactly. Exactly. 
And I think that's why so many successful women have the imposter syndrome mm. because they responded differently, pushed themselves to push themselves without rewiring the beliefs of how they see themselves. So while they've allowed themselves to become successful, they don't see themselves any differently. Barbara, did you ever struggle with imposter syndrome? All the time. All the <laughs> time. I have it still. I'm working on rewiring it. Every book I've ever written, I say, they're going to see. I have no idea what I'm talking about. All the time. It's such a strong one and hard to rewire, I think, especially. It's challenging to rewire. Hmm. It takes intense focus. Yeah. It takes commitment. It's no harder than raising a baby. <laughs> Because that's so simple. <laughs> Raising a baby. That's the hardest thing I've ever done. Three of them. But yeah. Do you have daughters, Barbara? I do. Do I they do work? What is their money mindset like? When I started going through my own financial healing, mm -hmm. I brought them with me. They know everything I've been through. What? I love that. That's like our, our whole goal with Smart Money Mamas is like, can we change the generational money story? Can we help you heal yes. and then help you heal your kids and bring them yes. forward? So I was just very happy. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. And I had, when I was at my lowest point mm -hmm. and I had no money and all these tax bills and I wasn't talking to my parents who wouldn't help me. I remember having a teacher said to me, if you can't do it for you, because I was just really feeling very negative about my ability to learn. Mm -hmm. And my teacher said, if you can't do it for you, do it for someone you love more than you. And it was my love for my children, because I did not want them to grow up me, that motivated me to do this. And so I brought them in. They saw, I would take them to financial planners sometimes went with me and they would be falling asleep. But I figured by osmosis, it would just sink <laughs> in somehow. <laughs> They're sitting there. They're hearing it at some level. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. What do they do for work? I have one that is a full-time mom, bless her heart, so grateful. And I have one who's a journalist, but also she and her husband own a movie theater. That's and fun. I have one who's a farmer. That's fantastic. That and so not a, not, they don't make a whole lot of money, but mm -hmm. they're doing what they love because it feeds their soul and they have enough. They make sure they have enough to meet their needs. Yeah. And that's what makes me so happy. That's fantastic. And so because we talked about parenting and like generation for a second, one of the power tools you talk about in the book is reparenting and how some of these stories come from things that weren't healed when we were kids. Can you talk us through what reparenting is and how it impacts being able to rewire or hardwire? You're the first person that's asked me about that. <laughs> it's such a key part of my book because what one of the things that you don't see talked about very much mm. ever is the effect trauma and shame and early childhood stress has on our relationship with money. Yeah. Huge, huge. And so what so much of my work is helping women heal the trauma. And one of the tools I use is what's called reparenting work. And because what happens is when an early trauma or anything threatening or stressful in us is triggered, even if it's just remotely similar or not even similar, is our thinking brain turns off and our fight, fight, freeze turns on. And it's like our little child, our little traumatized, scared little girl, it starts running our show. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important that we learn how to work with and take care of that traumatized, stressed out little girl inside of. And I know very few people, very few women I've worked with who have not experienced trauma. But their problem with trauma is most people, it's, it was their normal. They don't even realize if they weren't beaten within an inch of their lives, if they didn't have cigarette burns on their arms, they didn't think they had trauma. Mm. But anytime we are not seen or heard for who we are 
and chastise for it, it's a form of trauma. And so reparenting is, is a guided visualization of, and there are many ways to do it, but of going back and talking to your little girl and finding out what was it like for her and assuring her you will keep her safe if she will work with you mm-hmm. and tell her what you're going to do and ask her what she needs to feel safe and how you can work together with it. One of the things when I was going through therapy, talking about some trauma management stuff that my therapist had told me was that our brains don't recognize the movement of time. And so that trigger, your body feels like you're four again or eight again or however age that was. And it feels very real. Even if like you were saying, it's not even remotely similar. It's just enough of a trigger that, like you said, you go right back to that place And so that practice of going back and learning how to talk to that other person, I think is fantastic for money things. But what you mentioned was that we don't even know sometimes that it was abnormal. And so do you have any advice on identifying what those old traumas might have been and how it might be impacting our current money stories? I could say so much about that. And that's, you're asking really good questions, Elsie. <laughs> different than most do. So I really appreciate it. We like to keep what, it different. Yeah, no, it's really great. I really appreciate it. If you're a smart woman making good money and you have nothing to show for it, one of the things that I have found is that we unconsciously choose financial turmoil unconsciously so that we don't feel the effect of the trauma. So anytime you notice you're doing something you can't stop, which Mm -hmm. is the definition of an addiction. So in any area, any addiction under almost every addiction, I don't know anyone that's not, but almost under every addiction is a trauma. Mm -hmm. And if you could look back in your life and see where you didn't feel heard, where you didn't feel seen, where you were forced to be something you weren't, where you were told that you were anything but a beautiful, wonderful child, that was trauma. Mm-hmm. And anytime you feel anger at the way you were raised, women are so afraid of anger. Notice that. Tell the truth. Something was wrong about my upbringing. It doesn't make your parents bad or wrong. It makes them wounded individuals mm-hmm. who hadn't healed. So I think the best thing we can do for our children is to heal our own wounds, to heal our own trauma, to heal our shame. That was actually something you you highlighted in the book as well, is that it's not about blame. It's not about blaming your parents. It's about figuring out how can you recognize what they were going through too and like heal it for yourself at all levels, which is is so important. And heal it for your generations to come because Mm -hmm. they passed on the legacy to you that was passed on from them, parents, and you and I can stop passing on that legacy. And I noticed even if our children are older, which is when I started, we can do it. So if your kids had been younger when you started this, would, would you have done anything differently? How would you recommend that parents of young kids now make conscious choices about how our kids are doing their early money wiring? My children were everywhere from... Oh, you had a baby. That's I, she I, was very... I had a 12-year-old to a baby. Mm-hmm. A 12-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a baby. So I kind of had all things. But what I did is I sat them down and not my baby, obviously not, but I spoke to them and I talked to them and I showed them what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know I was rewiring at the time, but what I was doing and that it was hard and they just knew. And I've talked to them a great deal about the danger of debt. And I spoke to them a great deal about the importance of saving, of spending less, saving more and investing wisely as age appropriate. And how do we do that? in a way that doesn't bring fear, right? Especially because like you were in a very tough place. Some of the moms that are listening are in a very tough place and you want to be honest with them and you want to have the conversations. You don't want to put adult strain on their right. brains either. <laughs> so how do right. I do that? Right, 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 right. So one of the things I started doing with my youngest is when she got to be around, how old was she? I don't know, maybe seven or something. 
I started with an allowance. Mm-hmm. And we had three jars. One was a saving jar, a spending jar, and a giving jar. Yep. And so she would divide her allowance. And I don't remember how much she got. That was a long time ago. She's 36 now. So <laughs> we put it in those jars. Put some in here, some in here, some in here. And she was most excited to have her giving jar add. And her saving jar was always saved for something in specific. And she could spend her money to spend it how she wanted. So she learned how to save for something. She learned when she spent, she didn't have any money and she wasn't going to get it. So she needed to parcel out her spending money carefully. Mm -hmm. But the most fun for her was the giving. And she let that grow and grow for years. And when she gave it to the animal shelter, that taught her more about giving and philanthropy than anything I could have ever told her. Yeah. Giving for kids, I feel like is such a tangible, they they want to be helpers, especially at those young ages. It's so fun. We do the same jars with my boys. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And my four-year-old just, he gets so excited. We have like a tracker for him that gets him to whatever he, he does world wildlife fun most of the time. And like he picks an animal that he loves and like, he just loves seeing it build. And it's so different. We give as a family on a regular basis, but it will never be the same as when it's his money that he gets to send. Yes. That is so beautiful. And you send the message Mm. that wealth, having more than enough, is not just about being greedy, that there's power in having more than enough, that you can make a difference. And that's the message you want to get across. You mentioned at the beginning, your goal being making millions, helping millions, giving millions. How does your giving philosophy work in your own life? How do you give effectively? I have my own giving philosophy. (laughs) I give very differently than probably my financial advisor would suggest. Okay. I find people that need money and I give in two ways. I give them very low interest loans mm-hmm. or I just give them money outwards for something specific. But I love to help individual people who need mm-hmm. much more than I love. There's nothing wrong with giving to organizations. Not, not a thing. There are a few organizations I give money to, but I rather do it to, to people. And so what have you helped individuals do? Obviously you don't use names or specifics, but. I sent my assistant's daughter to camp. I loaned money to a friend to start a business at a very low interest rate. She paid me back. My, I pay my cleaning lady way more than she asked for. But I know she has no money and she has this precious daughter. So I pay her outrageous sums. But that's how I like to use my money. These are the things that you get to do, right? When you change that thought about wealth that I just, it makes me so excited of like, We've actually been able to do this with Smart Money Mamas and things like that as well, where we say people come, we go to hire people and they give me a rate that I know as women, they're asking not enough. It's not the market rate. And being able to go back and be like, you're not asking for enough. This is what I'm going to pay you. This higher amount is what I'm going to pay you. And we think about it as greed. So many of us associate wealth and money with greed and not with look at how we can change the values of money as a culture and as a society if we put money in the hands of people who align it with values and with something different. Exactly. I know. I remember one of my workshops, one of my retreats, I took a hundred dollar bill and I put it on the floor. And I said, this money cannot shoot a gun and it cannot bandage a wound. The money cannot do anything bad or good. It's what you do with it. Mm-hmm. And I believe you earn and you save as much money as you can, and then you can give it all away. But here's the thing, what it takes to create wealth, It's not the external stuff, as you said. It's not the outer work so much as who you have to become, who you have to become to become a container that can attract, that can maintain, sustain, and grow your money. That's the power. 
And so let's talk about one specific money story that comes up all the time. And if you've worked with anybody who's had to rewire this or your specific thoughts, but one of which being the money is evil one, right? If I have more money, it will make me a bad person. Where do we even start with this? (laughs) You start with a belief. Where did Mm -hmm. that come from? That did not come from out of the blue. No. That came from their parents. Very often it was from the parents who hated wealthy people. I hear this all the time with my clients. Their family hated wealthy people. They thought wealthy people were bad, all that. If it didn't come from your family, it came from the church. If it didn't come from the church, it came from the other kids. It came from somewhere. Mm -hmm. So to recognize where it came from and then decide if you want to change that or if you want to continue to believe it. To rewire, to do anything, you have to be motivated and committed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Henry Ford said, believe you can, believe you can't, either way you'll be right. Believe it's bad, believe it's good, either way you'll be right. Barbara, any other pieces of advice for women? This episode, this is early 2021, everybody's setting resolutions. Any pieces of advice on starting to rewire those money stories? Take a dream. Just take a dream. And you don't have to tell anybody. And especially take a dream that you don't even want to tell yourself. Mm -hmm. I would like everybody listening to just say, what is my dream? And it could be big, huge, and it could be really small. It could be to be happy, to raise happy, but but look at a dream. And then look at everything that comes up when you think about achieving the dream, especially the negative. Mm -hmm. Look at everything that comes up that tells you you can't do that and why it's not yours. And believe, I used to have this posters that says, you are never, ever given a dream without the power to make it come true. But sometimes you have to work at it. So take your dream seriously. I had a dream to write a book for years and everything in me told me I couldn't write a book, but I kept at it. It took me a long time, but I kept at it. So take a dream and look at what's coming up that tells you you can't do it and just start with there. I love it. Barbara, before we let you go, we have to have you try on the Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. The sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? Yes. What is something about motherhood you wish someone had told you before you had kids? I wish someone had told me that your children need you more than you think they do. Mm. I was not there for my kids. I was out there trying to prove myself. And one of the biggest, I am in, it pains me to talk about. I don't know if you can tell, it pains me. Mm. I wish I was there more for my kids. So if you have the opportunity to be a stay-at-home mom, lucky you. If you have the opportunity to work and be there for your kids, lucky you. And if you find yourself driven by insecurity and having to prove yourself like I did, work on rewiring that. Mm. I, I wish I had enjoyed my kids like I'm enjoying my grandkids. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm glad you're getting time with your grandkids. And I'm getting time with my kids now too. Well, yes. <laughs> Thank God. Barbara, where can people follow up with you and buy your book? Barbara hyphen dash Houston, H-U-S-O-N dot com. There's a lot of information on that website. And I also have this wonderful, it was a dream come true. I created a couple of years ago, a community called the Wealth Connection Mm -hmm. of women. And all we do is talk about money, like women openly, honestly, not just the practical and the emotional, our fears and our joys. And it's a wonderful experience. Fantastic. We'll have links for that in the show notes, Mamas. Barbara, thank you so much for joining us. This was wonderful. Thank you. Mamas, I absolutely loved hearing about the evolution of Barbara's work as we chatted today and how she's focused in on the true power of mindset and belief. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as well. I'm so grateful that she spent some time with us and for her commitment to women and wealth throughout her career. 
If you're looking to rewire your money beliefs to bring more financial success into your life, check out Rewire for Wealth wherever you get your books. We've got links in the show notes as well. It's a short, actionable read that will give you some simple tools to build your wealth connection. As always, I've wrapped up my three favorite takeaways from this conversation with Barbara that you can bring into your own daily money habits. First, practice recognizing and reframing when limiting beliefs come up. Barbara mentioned that rewiring happens in the moment, not in reflection after the fact. This doesn't mean that reflection isn't important and that coming back to our money habits and to our money mindset isn't a crucial part of the process. It is. But these are the moments, reflection is the moments when you can start to see what came up, what came up throughout your day. And that way you can catch it next time in the moment. You get more aware of what is happening. You can also learn to create more space. Maybe have a practice of have 15 second pause before you make a purchase of not multitasking as you pay the bills or have a money meeting, really focus in and being present and mindful as you handle your money. The more we can become aware of our financial thoughts, the more we can figure out what serves us and what doesn't and start the process of reframing. This is a habit. This is a new skill and it's going to take time, but each opportunity you have to reframe is going to make it easier to do the next time and really start that strong process of rewiring. Second, when something is not true for someone, it's very hard for them to hear. Barbara's family doesn't talk about her career and her work. And as we talked about in the episode, that makes me a little bit sad. She just done so many incredible things for women across the world in her career. And I wish she had that validation from her family. I'm glad she's come to terms with that in her own life. But for us, there's a huge learning experience here. We can't force our spouse, our friends, our family to change before they're ready. If their mindset, their belief system doesn't let in the abundance that you are building in your own life, you can't force them to. And that's really difficult. What we can do is focus on ourselves, focus on our own change, rewiring our own money beliefs, finding our own version of success. Often what we see with families is that as one spouse starts to save more, starts to feel more confident, the other spouse asks, what's going on? How did you do that? And it gives you an opportunity to pull them into the conversation. You're leading by example. But if you can't get your spouse, your friends to have the conversations that you wish you could have, don't let that stop you from doing your own money mindset work, your own financial success work, because you still deserve everything you're dreaming of, the life and the mindset that you want to get the abundance you need and the abundance to pass on to your, your kids. We hope that our family and friends get on board at some point, but focus on yourself first. And finally, it's not just you. We all need rewiring. Women have been programmed to believe that we're meant to raise the babies and keep the home while the men hunt and gather and provide. Has that changed a little bit over the last few generations? Sure, but that root belief is still there. And so we need to rethink, does that fit for our lives? Does that fit to what we truly want? And have those moments to recognize and reframe those thoughts, not just about money, but about all the things we do in our day, all the things we feel like we're quote unquote supposed to do. Willpower and intention isn't enough. You have to learn to actively rewire your brain. It's why we talk so much about money mindset 
within the Motivated Mama Society, because that is the foundation to opening the doors to broader change, to actual small actions that get you to where you want to go. You have to believe that the end result is possible. You have to believe you are worthy of that wealth before you can start taking those steps. Mindset is crucially important. Start paying attention to the little beliefs that come up. Start practicing reframing. Mama, you've got this. I want to thank Barbara again for coming on the show, sharing her knowledge and her own money story, and introducing us to her new book. You can find links to Barbara's website and buy her newest book, Rewire for Wealth, in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Barbara, where you can also download your free Meaningful Money Goal Kickstart Guide. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time. 